0: Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to continue looking at the book of Ezekiel. We thank you for those that are here, Lord, for those that are sick and that are having trouble. We ask you to be with them and help help our body get get healthy and 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 move forward with you in your Son's name. Amen. Ezekiel chapter forty-one. We're continuing Ezekiel's vision of the temple. And as we talked about last week, there's discussion on whether this is the third temple that goes into the millennial kingdom or the third temple gets destroyed and it's a fourth temple for the millennial kingdom. I tend to believe it's the third temple that stays there and goes into the, goes into the millennial kingdom uh, because things happen before Jesus' return and then things happen indicating his return. So it's, uh, I think it's the third, during the millennial kingdom, the third temple that's built that he then continues using into the millennial kingdom. Uh, But there is controversy, so if you hear somebody say something different, just know that that's another view is out there. Uh, I'm just going to teach what I believe, (laughs) but let you know that there are other other things out there. Uh, Verse 41, chapter 1. Afterward, he brought me to the temple and measured the post, six cubits broad on one side and six cubits broad on the other side. The breadth of the tabernacle. The breadth of the door was ten cubits, and the sides of the door were five cubits on one side, five cubits on the other side, and he measured the length thereof forty cubits, and the breadth twenty cubits. Then went he inward and measured the post of the door two cubits, and the door six cubits, and the breadth of the door seven cubits, and he measured the length thereof twenty cubits, and the breadth twenty cubits before the temple. And he said unto me, This is the most holy place. After he measured the wall of the house, six cubits, and the breadth of every side chamber, four cubits, sat around about the house on every side. And the side chambers were three over one another, and thirty in order. And they entered into the wall, that which was of the house, and the side chambers, round about it. And they that they might have hold, but they had not hold on the wall of the house. And there was an enlarging, and the window about, still about to the sides of the chambers for the winding of the house, went still upward around about the house. Thereof, the breadth of the house was still upward, and so increased from the lowest chamber to the highest by the midst. All right, so we're gonna stop there for just a moment because we got quite a bit (laughs) of confusion just in this. And we're looking here, Last week we talked about the outer walls of the of the temp, temple complex and how thick they were and how big they were and we're not going to go back over all of those measurements, uh, but uh, he talked about if you remember the entrances there was going to be an entrance in the on the east an entrance on the south and the north and you had the, the thickness of the walls and they were 300 about approximately 300 feet in. In uh, distance, with a hundred hundred cubits, and we had the table set up that there for the killing of the you know the sacrifices and the altar, and now he starts out with it says afterward he brought me to the temple, so now we're at the actual temple building that he's describing at this point. All right, so we've got the walls on the outside, and inside was the temple. And if you remember when we talked about the tabernacle, you had the walls around the the whole thing, which were 100, 150 feet long, 75 feet wide. And in the center, you had the actual tabernacle, which had the holy place and the holy of holies. Okay, right now he's getting ready to talk about that building within this temple complex. Can you make it a little bit more clear for me? What's the number on this temple that we're talking about? I believe it's number three, the one that's built during... He's looking into the future. He's in the future at this point. Now, there are those who say that this is a millennial temple and, some, and it's different from the temple that the Jews build during the tribulation period, and I just don't buy that. Okay, so I believe he's still looking at the third temple, but if you ever hear somebody talking about a fourth, fourth, or, or usually they won't say fourth temple, they'll say millennial temple, uh, which kind of draw those two together and gets rid of the whole... <laughs> the whole process. It's either the third temple built, because we know that during the tribulation there's a temple that's built, and that they worship in the temple, and that the Antichrist helps them build that temple, and then halfway in through the tribulation period, he stands up in the temple and says, I am God, and the Jews all of a sudden get this epiphany that all of a, this is not God and he is not their Messiah. What's the official number on that one? That will be the third. Because you don't count the tabernacle as a temple. Uh, The tabernacle is the tent that Moses built for the people. Okay, Uh, Solomon built the first temple. So the tabernacle is never counted as a temple because it was a tent. And Solomon builds a a temple. Ezra and Nehemiah build the second temple. Herod expands that that temple so that it was a huge invite, but that's still the second temple during Herod's day. The third temple will be the Tribulation Temple, and then I believe this is still part of that temple being cleansed and restored. There are a handful of people that say, no, there's a fourth, that because that Tribulation Temple was not the right temple and Satan... uh, made it an abomination that it's destroyed and another one is built, in which case this is what they're talking about. Uh, I don't think so. I think, he, I think God's fully, fully able to clean it up and you know, just as the second temple was cleaned many times and the first temple was cleaned many times. Okay. So afterwards, after he's seen the outside, he's measured the outside, of the outside uh, walls and everything, God brings him into, up to the temple. I mean, we've got to remember, again, just as you pointed out, this is a long time in the future. No matter what temple you're talking about here, this is a long time in the future. We're talking 3,000 years from the time Ezekiel, 3,000, 3,400 years from the time Ezekiel sees this to its fulfillment. So this is a long future <laughs> picture. And uh, it's about the same size as... Solomon's temple and Herod's temple when it in the measurements that we've talked about so far And we're going to see that these measurements are very much in line with that size So three thousand years since this vision Approximately wow. okay. G- Give it give or take a few it might be as little as 250. I mean, I don't know the exact dates on that I didn't actually sit down and figure the dates But we know it's 2000 to Jesus and somewhere between 500 to 1500 years before that so yeah, now, at present time, are planning uh, and got specifications. Are there specifications right now according to this? I don't know they're according to this because I've never looked at their specs, but they want a temple. Yeah. And there's no reason why they're not going to build a temple to the same specs as Solomon's temple and Herod's temple, and these ones match both of those temples within within a, few, within a few feet. They don't want to that is a Christian idea. That's not a. It's not a Jewish idea. Yeah. Same. Same. Same measurements. They want a physical temple. Yeah. Well, it's they need a physical temple. The Jews need a physical temple, because right now they have trouble. They know that there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. They will tell you that you are if you do enough good works, you're okay with God, because they know they can't do do sacrifices but ultimately the rabbis when they read the word of God know that there has to be the shedding of blood and so they'll tell people because we don't have a temple we can't offer the sacrifices good works are what you need to do right now but in the back of their heart in the deep depths of their hearts they know that they're lying to the people because that's not scriptural Uh, and that's a problem that they're dealing with this is why most Really, ultra-orthodox Jews want another temple built so they can have the sacrificial system back into place, so that when Yom Kippur comes around, their sins are covered, because they know that that's not a, what they're being taught is not scriptural. Do you have any idea how many Orthodox there are compared to non-Orthodox? The number, no, they're just they're, they're the minority by far. Orthodox, and uh, ultra-Orthodox, and Orthodox are both in the minority even if you combine them. Uh, conservative Jews and Reformed Jews make up the, the largest number, and then non-religious Jews, there's a large number of them as well. Uh, religious Jews from Reformed all the way up, I don't even know if they meet half the, half the Jews, and if they do, it's just over that, so, and then Orthodox. <laughs> Are just a small minority of it. Uh, the rest of them, you know, the Orthodox and the the Reformed and and uh, are just happy with this. Do more good than bad and be like the rest of the world. And then, a very large population of Jew- Jews are not religious at all. They're just Jews in name only. So, then and this is the battle that's going on in, in Israel even to this day a lot of Israelites are agnostic or atheist uh, or Jews, not Israelites I guess anymore, but Jews are agnostic or or atheist then you have the small group of reformed Jews which are for the most part practicing agnostics even though they're believing in God they're believing in a God who doesn't really care, it's more of a deistic God, he started everything in motion and then disappeared and then you've got your next set that the conservative Jews that are more, more religious but not not necessarily wanting everything. Then you've got the ones that want to go to what the Bible says. One last thing, I do not understand how these folks that don't go strictly by the Bible, so I don't know how they can justify that in their minds. You know, this is it right here. I, whether you're talking about the Jews and the not believing the Old Testament or Christians that don't believe the Bible, I don't know. I agree with you. I don't understand how they can, you know, base anything of their religion outside the Bible. Whether it's the Jews and just their 39 Old Testament books or Christians who don't believe, don't really believe the Bible. Uh, to me it's like, why be one? Yeah. Now, if you're not going to believe the Bible, why be a Christian? If you're not going to believe the Old Testament, why be a Jew? You know, and that's why I say most people are Jews just because they're born Jews, and not and not because they were practicing, worshiping Jews. And the largest population in Israel, they're all Jews by birth, but they're not religious, practicing Jews. And if you were to ask them about the Bible, they could tell you all the major stories of the Bible. They kind of believe the you know stories of the Bible. It's kind of funny watching interviews with people in Israel, they'll go, God gave us the land, but then they'll tell you either before that or after, they don't really believe in God. They just know the stories of how the land belongs to them by tradition, but it's kind of like the way Christians practice uh, Christmas. We're supposed to be celebrating the birth of Jesus, but the average Christian doesn't even think about Jesus. They put their Christmas tree up, they put their Christmas lights up, they'll buy gifts, and Jesus is you know, they'll go, yeah, it's a celebration of Jesus' birth, but they, other than that, they'll never think about celebrating Jesus. It's dragging all these thousands and thousands and thousands of them back to the homeland today. I think some of that, there's some of this, there's the history that they have, the, their, their Passover, the, it's the persecution they have just because they are Jews, and I think it's also a desire God is putting in their heart to return back because he said in Scripture, he would bring them back and Jews are coming back in droves because for some reason that's their home. Even though they've never lived there, that's their home and they just want to be there. And I think it's God putting it in their heart ultimately, whether he's using persecution to put them there or just dissatisfaction with what's going on. Uh, they're going back and there's just a heart, even in here for American, there's a lot of Jews that want to go, you know, they definitely want to go visit Israel and many of them want to move to Israel, just there's something that God is putting in their heart to return. Whether they're religious or not, it's him, because he said, I'm gonna, I will draw all of them back. And so what that means, how he's going to do it with each individual, who knows. But at some point, the Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox are going to get the temple that they're wanting. And... This is the temple being described here, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Afterwards, he brought me to the temple and the measurement of the post, or the door jams, six cubits on one side and six cubits on the other. That is nine foot door jams on the temple. That's a pretty big door, but it's holding a 10, it's holding a door that is 10 cubits or 15 feet. So you probably need a pretty good size door jamb to hold that large uh, a door. So we're talking this the temple door to the holy place has a very large entrance, a 15 foot entrance into a place where only the priests are allowed to go. So this is kind of a interesting size. He says the breadth of the door was 10 cubits and the sides of the door were 5 cubits on each side, 5 on the other side and he measured the length thereof and it was 40 cubits in breadth and 20 cubits in in uh, bre- uh, breadth and 40 and so that's 60 by 30 feet okay now that's a little bit larger than the other temples the other temples were uh, a total of 10 by 10 by 30 so he's actually doubling the size of this temp actual temple complex and it's kind of an amazing thing when you think about this it's this one is going to be large and it's and then he says, and then he went inward and measured the post of the door, two cubics of the door, six cubics. And the breadth of it was seven cubics. So this next door is still a pretty large door. On the inside of this, the next inside door is nine feet across. Started out at 15 and is going to end up at, at nine feet as it gets further in. And you know we're just seeing a picture. And again, we want to kind of draw this picture. The tabernacle had the outer. Outer fencing around it, and had the inner tent, and that tent was divided into two sections: the holy place and the holy of holies. The holy of holies was ten cubits by ten cubits in the original, and and the holy place was ten by twenty in in length, and that was as big as it was. You know, ten cubits across, fifteen feet across, and thirty cubits long for the whole tent, which is. Um, 45 feet, give or take, depending on the size of the cubit. So that's a pretty big tent, okay? That's a good-sized tent, and then it had the veil in in the two-thirds of the way in to separate the holy place from the Holy of Holies. And here's what he's starting to describe on this, is that main building is for the temple where the worship is to go on. And in the Holy of Holies, remember, is the table of showbread, the menorah, and the altar of incense. And then inside the Holy of Holies, you have the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat. And the Mercy Seat has the angels, the cherubim's wings touching over the top of it, overshadowing it. And the Mercy Seat has not been in the temple since the day of destruction of Solomon's temple. Okay, the second temple, and all the way through Herod's temple did not have the Mercy Seat. In it, it has been lost for a long time, and uh, now what they put in it, who knows? Because nobody ever goes in, but the high priest once a year, and I don't know what they sprinkle the blood on when they do go in. There may be some table that they put in there or something. I, you know, I have no idea. But we know that the mercy seat and the ark of the covenant has not been in there for millennia. But, he, but here we are and in verse three. Then he went inward and measured the post of that door. And it was, oops, we read that one. Verse 4. And he measured the length thereof 20 cubits and the breadth 20 cubits before the temple. And he said unto me, this is the most holy place. The holy of holies, where the mercy seat is supposed to be, where the priest goes in one time. And as I've said, this one is twice the measurements of everything else. The first one was 10 by 10. This one's 20 by 20. So we've doubled doubled the size of the even of the Holy of Holies. And you know, this an, I, I do find it kind of strange that this temple is going to be twice the size of the other ones. And I don't know if that's out of arrogance or desire to to do good works to God and show them that they're, you know, who knows what their motive is on it, but it's twice as large. And it could be because if Aden is behind behind the actual building of it. He's the one that's going to give them permission and, and help them get everything started and then declare that he's God. So he may be trying to do, he may be behind the fact that it's doubled, doubled in size. And, uh, you know, and that's speculation on my part, but, you know, I, I, I just wonder. <laughs> I just wonder on something like that. Why, why would it be doubled? Because it wouldn't, wouldn't make sense. Why not make it the size of the great... <laughs> The great ones that, you know, Solomon and Herod's temples that were so great. Uh, but the doubling of the size would just be something that the arrogance of Satan would, would want to have in there. Especially seems how he plans to sit on the, on the throne in the Holy of Holies. Makes sense. Um, after you measured the wall, in verse 5, of the house, six cubits, and the breadth of every side chamber, four cubits, around about of the house on every side. And the sides of the chambers were three, one over another, thirty in order that they entered into the wall and was of the house of the uh, of the side chambers, aren't about that they might hold and that they had not hold on on the wall of the house. All right, this one's very complex, but there's a three-story set of buildings on the outside of the temple, and this is something we've never seen on any any of the others, and. We don't know if it's right next to it. Most of the pictures kind of draw it on some kind of hill and the temple being elevated up and those three stories coming up to the base. And But it doesn't really say that here. It just says that there's four-cubit uh, chambers on the side of this. And it's in three, three levels. And so it's a three-story building or a three, three-tiered building. Uh, and a four-cubit building's only six feet by six feet, so it's not, not much. I mean, I, and it doesn't really, I didn't come across anything that tells us what these little side buildings are for. Uh, are they little cubicles for the priest to sleep in when they're on duty, or are they storage areas? I don't know, but a six-by-six-foot room is not that big a room. Uh, but he says he measured the wall. It was six cubits, or, or nine feet, which is a pretty thick wall. And then it has these chambers. <laughs> and I don't know, like I said, I don't know if they're stacked pretty high, which means they're almost as tall as the temple. Or are they tiered? And most of the pictures you'll see if you look in there kind of show them down a little bit this, and the temple being raised up above them and the, and the bottom one being kind of equal with the temple. Uh, but I don't know if that, if that was the case, I don't know why they would say that they weren't attached to the temple walls. I think they're literally a three-story complex next to the temple wall, built next to it, but not attached to the temple. In my translation, it says, it says all around the temple. Yeah. That could be construed as a of different distances. Yeah, either way, it's still the same picture. But because it makes such a point to say it's not attached to the temple... I kind of believe that they're built next to it with a little tiny gap between them, you know, not not literally attached to the to the temple wall. Uh, that's my opinion from what I read. I try to read it straight up on what it says, and it doesn't talk about it doesn't talk about the temple being put up on some kind of pedestal and and all of that. There's a few steps on it, but not enough steps to to make a three three story. <laughs> uh, building on around, you know, underneath it. But again, it doesn't really matter. The picture is that there's these little chambers all, all around the tabernacle of the temple. It's funny that that's all that they would say about these things. Well, it might. I haven't really fully read 42 and 43 yet, which is all still about this temple. There may be something mentioned in those. I've been studying. You know, I've been tearing this apart, trying to picture what it says and then looking at pictures that are out there. And all the pictures are different. So everybody reads this totally different. And so that's why I'm telling you. Some of the pictures you're going to see are these little stair-step ziggurat type thing going up the side of a mountain, laying even with the base. But then, like I say, to me, I don't understand why he would say, and they were not attached to the wall of the the temple, if they're laying down at the base. Because it would be obvious that they weren't attached to the wall of the temple. So to me, they're three, tier, three stories right next to the, the temple. Uh, and again, why are they there? I don't know. Uh, yeah, again, in our day and age and, uh, and the ability of attacks, maybe you know, just to be cynical, they may be there just to protect the temple from, from an attack. Yeah, the fact that they're detached from the temple leads you to answer or ask more questions. Right. And if they were there just to take the, the blunt of any kind and an attack, especially in our day and age when we understand that, you know, a six foot would be enough to stop most minor missiles and stuff. Uh, so that's a possibility right there that it's there, you know, used for other things, but they're there, it's there for to stop it from being attacked. Uh, who knows? And especially on nine foot walls. I mean, that, that's also designed to protect. And I never really thought about that, but this building here is is definitely designed to withstand attacks, even in, with our modern-day equipment our, of attack. And we have missiles and bombs that can go through a nine-foot uh, thick wall, but those aren't the usual ones that are used, you know, to bust up things. You know, a, a bu- a bunker busters are not usually used for... You know, attacking buildings. So we have equipment that could take it down. But a lot of this you look at and say, this building's built against modern day weaponry. Uh, not completely impervious, but <laughs> uh, protected against it. And it wasn't an enlarging and a winding about still upward to the chambers, for the winding about of the house went still upward around about the house. Wherefore the breadth of the house was still upward and it so increased from the lowest chamber to the highest chamber. In other words, it had a winding, winding staircase. <laughs> a windy staircase that goes up, up to three stories. Uh, and it's kind of hard to think, see this, and it almost pictures not even a staircase, but a um, narrowing staircase. It starts out really broad and, and works its way getting smaller and smaller as it goes up, kind of uh, almost like it was carved out of the stone type thing, and yet we know it's not carved out of stone because it's built into it. And he said, I also saw the height of the house round about the, the foundation. The sides were a full reed of six great cubits. All right, here we have a difference in statement. He says cubits in most cases and we've talked about how we, number one, we don't even know the, what a cubit is in these measurements. all right? In general, and when I say give you feet conversion, I'm using an 18-inch cubit, which is the general cubit. Okay? An Egyptian cubit was 24 inches long, which could very well be what Moses was measuring when he was in the Exodus because he had come from uh, Egypt and he had been trained through Egyptian training. And so it could be, but here he says it's the great cubit, which is almost, if I recall correctly, it's 30 to 36 inches long. All right, so here he's saying by the measurement of the great cubit, and there's six of them. All right, and if you go that number, with six, and then regular cubit on six is gonna be nine, nine, and if you go a full 24 inches, we're talking about a 24 inch, or 24 foot, measurement, if you go to 30, the 30 you're getting even bigger. Uh, but he says the height of it is somewhere between 9 to 24 feet is what I'm going to say. Depending uh, depending on how you're going to define the, the great cubit. And this is kind of what, when we run into these things, it's hard sometimes to look at these measurements. I mean they use measurements that we don't fully understand and have changed over the years. And it's one of the great things in our day and age that we kind of have defined certain things by a very specific measurement. And, you know, even, even when we used hands and foots and, you know, all of that, originally they, they were just, in general, the size of the person, you know, measuring them. And then over the years, we've defined exactly what it is, which makes it easy. So that when you tell somebody you want a pound of something, it's a pound everywhere. <laughs> you know, in all places. If you tell them you want a gram of something, that is very specifically measurement measurement by science and has no variability in it because of the way it's measured. And so, you know, we're getting our measurements more precise. So, but even these days we didn't actually... Even in their weight measurements and everything, they had things that were certain measurements. But even then, what was a she- you know what was the weight of a shekel? Uh, it, it was you know it was known, but all you had to do was get a different counterbalance on it, and you had a different different weight. And so, this is why it's very difficult when we go back in and we say, "What are these?" Now, the amazing thing though is when we use the 18 inch cubic and a hand breadth of six inches and stuff, the mathematics work out perfect on when we get certain measurements. And so God is very precise. And this is why I really do believe an 18 inch cubic is what he's using uh, because there's a measurement of the water basin in Solomon's temple and they, they measured the perimeter of it and they gave the diameter. And people go, well, see the measurement when you, when you apply the circumference of a circle didn't work out until you added the hand breadth hand breadth uh, measurement of the... Yes. And the measurements all work out here, you know, especially if you keep them in cubits. Uh, they all work out. And, you know, this is the thing about it is God knew math, mathematics, and he has the mathematics work out. And they work out whether we do 18 inches, 20 inches, because the ratios stay the same because it's measured in cubits. In each generation that measurement is known. That doesn't necessarily mean it was the same for every single generation because some other king would come along and say well uh, no the, cubits a little, the cubit we've been using is a little bit too small you know because I've got a really long arm and here's the cubit and they put out the new measuring stick. Nine. The thickness of the wall which was on which for the side of the chamber without was five cubits and that which was left was of the place in the side that was therein. And between the chambers was a width, wideness of 20 cubits around about the house on every side. And the doors of the side chambers were toward the place that was left. And the one door toward the north and another door toward the south. And the breadth of the place that was left was five cubits around about. Now the building that was there for a separate place of the toward, in toward the west was seven cubits. 70 cubits and the wall of the house was 5 cubits thick around about and the length length thereof was 90 cubits. So he measured the house 100 cubits long and the separate place and the building of the walls thereof with 100 cubits long. All right, so real quick here. He's given a number of measurements all totaling out to be 100 cubits, which he told us in the very beginning was the distance between the temple and the walls. And if you do all the math on these with doubling them up and everything, you end up with the 100 cubits that he's talking about. Uh, and basically, it's showing you that God's math works <laughs> when you start adding all these widths of the walls and the buildings and this empty space and everything that he talks about. Because you've got the temple, you've got the wall, you've got the uh, clear area, you've got the outside walls, you've got the buildings, and then you've got another set of, set of walls. And all that, when you total them up, will equal... 100, 100 cubits. And you know, it, you think about some things that God puts so much detail in. You know, there's so many people that want to say God just started everything and then walked away and didn't care. But we get into the Bible and we read these details that He puts in. And once you start putting details in, it's so easy to make sure to have details that don't match. And yet, God matches up His details. It's just like when we get, when I, like I mentioned, in Solomon's water, uh, sea, sea basin that he had, it was a huge basin, and I can't remember what the measurement was, but it worked out that when you remembered that the thickness of the basin was a hand breadth, and you added, because you know, they, they originally didn't add the hand breadth, they just, they figured out the diameter, and they added the pi, you know, they, you know, they figured out the circumference, you know, 2, uh, two pi r, and they go, see, it's wrong. And they go, well, no, add the extra six inches on both sides, <laughs> and it worked out to within one or two tenths of a, you know, distance off, which is pretty darn accurate for something of that, of that nature. And uh, and so it's just one of these things when you when we look at it, you know, the Bible is not a science book. It's not a history book. It's not a It's not a mathematics book, but where it touches all those places, it is 100% accurate. Okay, Because if it was an absolute history book, we'd have too big a book to carry. If it was a mathematics or a science book, it would be be too big to carry. But when it talks about any of these topics, it's right on. And it's amazing to to see how accurate God's word is. Uh, He talks about the Earth being a circle hung into space, how the Catholics got away from that and went after Galileo and all of that you know, is, a, is a kind of bizarre because it just means they didn't read the scriptures. Okay? Uh, and this is why when people attack us for unscientific ideas, it's read the scriptures and you'll find out that <laughs> the scriptures are right. They're accurate. There's, there's, not a, there's not a problem with them when we get into them. And this is why we st- stay very often things are not true just because they're in the bible you know they're in the bible because they are true all right and it's very important for us to understand that because if or saying that if it's tr- if it's in the bible it's true and that is a true statement but that's not why they're true okay they're not true just because they're in the bible that's just saying well i have faith they're true therefore they are in the bible when it mentions them as so it's a very subtle difference but I can prove the, the existence of the truth of what's in there without ever touching the Bible. And that's an important thing for us to understand. I don't have to say, well, the Bible says so. You know, the Bible says so, so it's true. And you know, I grew up in a lot of times that that was the attitude of a lot of the Christians that I, that I spent growing up. Well, that's what the Bible says, so so it's true. Well, why? And I asked a lot of why's because I was somebody who loved science and going, you know, why, why, why? why? and you know we can prove things are true in the bible without having to go to the bible because they are true all right when we truly look at true science we look at true history it will match and you know so that's uh, where we're going to stand on that verse 14 also the breadth of the face of the house in the separate place toward the east and 100 cubits and he measured the length of the building over against the separate place which was behind it, and the galleries thereof on the one side and on the other side a hundred cubits, with the inner temple and the porches of the court, and the doorposts and the narrow windows and the galleries around about, and there are three stories over against the door, circled with wood around about, and the ground up to the windows and the windows were covered, to the above the door even to the inner house and without and all the walls without within and without by measure, and it was made of cherubim and palm trees, and a palm tree was between the cherubim and the cherubim, on, and every, every cherub had two faces, so that the face of a man was toward the palm tree on one side and the face of a young lion toward the palm tree on the other side, and it was made throughout the house, around about. So now he's getting into some of the decorations. Okay, There's a area that is used with wood and covered and... and you know, it's not just dirt. Once you're inside the temple, in the inside those walls, it was not just dirt. They had actually paved it and, and used wood and supported it. And it's going to be something that's going to be beautiful, all right. Now, whether in our day they poured concrete or whatever, who knows how they're going to do it? Whether they're going to lay some kind of cobblestone, it just says that everything is covered, and. In Solomon's temple, they covered it with gold. And in the second temple, they covered it with gold, which is why both uh, times it was destroyed, they'd actually destroyed the temple because they were after all the gold. And doesn't, I haven't seen him say that it was gonna be covered with gold on this one. Uh, and it doesn't sound like it's going to be covered with gold. Uh, but that might be because there's just not that much gold. <laughs> you know, a lot, most of the gold in the world has been disappeared, but you know, both the original temples were covered in gold. They shone and glittered in the sun. They were, you'd see them from hundreds of miles away because of the way the sun would shine on, off them. And when they were trying to get the gold off the temples, they finally, because they, in both cases, they were burning the city, and the gold started melting and getting into the cracks of the, of the building. So they actually took the stones stone by stone apart to get to all the gold. A little bit of greed involved there. Let's get every last, you know, speck of this gold, even though it's poured down under in the rocks, we're going to tear, it, you know, tear the whole building down to get it. And, uh, and we see this whole thing. And, the, and then he starts talking about how they've carved, decorated the walls with cherubim and with palm trees. Uh, and these cherubim have two faces, the face of a man and a face of a young lion, which I almost see that as a picture of Jesus. You know, the the picture of Jesus, the lion of Judah and the man on one side, so that we see that. Uh, earlier on in Ezekiel, he talked about them having four faces. In Solomon's day, they did all the carving, all the cutting of the stones away from the city and brought them into the city and pieced them together. And that's one thing that I've Noticed here is that in each of the other places where it talks about it It talks about the materials that were given toward the tabernacle and here there's no no materials listed It just gives you dimensions for these things And I don't know if he didn't know the materials or didn't understand them or didn't care But that just is out of place with all the other (laughs) Temples you know, and I just really been thinking about this. What are these ones made out of who knows? It is one of those things that we look at it and say This is something that God said is going to happen. We know that the Orthodox Jews want it to happen, and we just know that it will. And and Satan will be involved with it to get the get it built, because the Antichrist is going to appear to be their Messiah at first, and he's going to help them get this this temple built, and he's going to help them have peace for a certain period, or at least apparent peace for a certain period of time. And then when they refuse to worship him, then all hell will break loose on them and they will become the center of all of his attacks. We just see Ezekiel talking about this. And this is pretty much how he's going to end this whole book, is very much talking about this millennial, this last temple and the millennial kingdom. So let's go ahead and close in prayer, since we're at <laughs> the ending time. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care of us. Lord, we thank you that you show us the future. You know, we don't fully understand it because it is in the future. You show the future, and when it happens, people will know that you spoke it and knew what was going on. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen.